Welcome to Call to Action, the podcast that brings the most interesting women working in marketing to the spotlight. My name is Isis Lima and I'm your host. Sales and marketing are essentially two branches of the same tree. However, in many companies, the rivalry between sales force and marketers remains. Our guest today will talk about how to get marketing and sales working together and the importance of diversity in the tech industry. Hello, hello! Welcome to another episode of Call to Action. Today, I'm joined by the delightful, amazing, incredible Gemma Hurley. Hi, Gemma. How are you? Hi, Isis. Oh, my God. I'm going to have a big head with all those lovely adjectives. Thank you for inviting me today. It's so nice to be here. Oh, it's amazing to have you and you own each of those. So, Gemma, for those who didn't have the pleasure to cross your path, tell us a little bit about you. Okay. So, hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Gemma Hurley, and I have been working in the tech industry for a number of years now. So, I've been very fortunate to carve out um, a career across Microsoft. Microsoft, Oracle, LinkedIn, and now Salesforce. So you could say that I'm a bit of a fangirl of tech companies. And I've worked in multiple areas of the business, which has been really great for my experience. So I've worked in marketing, I've worked in customer success, I've worked in sales programs, and I'm now working in sales enablement. And then outside of work, I'm a black belt in karate, even though I really wanted to do ballet, but my dad had two daughters, so we were sent to do karate. I only use products that aren't tested on animals. I'm super passionate about cruelty-free products. And then, really nice for me to be on a podcast, because my favorite hobby is reading books or listening to podcast. Amazing. There is no way I couldn't invite you, Gemma. So thanks again for being here. So how did you start your career? Because you have a very varied background. So if you could tell us a little bit more how everything started, it would be great. Oh, I'd love to. So I think... In terms of, if, there's two ways that I could approach this. I could approach this in terms of the way that I would if I was speaking to maybe a senior leader or if I was speaking in a job interview. But I think because I know you, Isis, and I know your listeners and what they're passionate about, I think I'm just going to be fully honest here and say the start of my career was pretty rocky. So I... I loved certain subjects in school and didn't love others, um, which meant that I scored really high in the subjects that I loved, but the ones that I didn't love brought me down. And then when I went into university, I guess I felt a little bit lost in university, um, didn't love my course. I just couldn't see what I was going to be. So when I was in school, I couldn't see what my path was going to be. When I was in university, I couldn't see what my path was going to be. And so the kind of 18 months after university for me, when I look back now, we're still some of the toughest period of my life because I saw my, you know, people I went to school with and my friends, they were all getting on and they were doing different graduate programs and internship. And still I hadn't found my way. 
And then I was working in marketing. I was working in marketing for a retail company. So I was on the shop floor a lot as well. You know, I worked very anti-social hours. I, if I didn't live in my dad's house, I definitely would not have been able to stay afloat because the money I was making was so limited. And then for me, I was just applying, applying, applying for roles. And I got a job at a company called PGI. And then that was just like everything fell into place. I started working in partner marketing. I was in a tech company. I was in a SaaS company. And then I could finally see a career path for me. So getting into tech and working in tech really, it absolutely changed my life. And I grew my career from there then. Yeah, but that's the story of so many of us. Like, I, I definitely can relate to that. I finished school. I wasn't too sure what I wanted to do in college. Then, of course, I relied a, a lot on my mom's advice, my dad's advice. And then because I always wanted, I liked things that are creative. Uh, my mom said, why don't you do fashion? And it was just because she saw the, la the week before in the magazine, fashion was the new trend of professions. And I was like, yeah, it sounds fun. And I loved college, but my first year was a bit of um, a crisis as well, because even though I loved going to college and having those classes. I wasn't sure if I could make a career out of that. So I stopped that, then did a year of journalism, realized that actually I didn't want to be writing about holes all the time on the streets, came back to fashion to finish that. But when knowing that I wouldn't be a designer. So during the whole time that I was in college, I was like, I love doing this course. I love lots of elements of it, but I don't want to be called a fashion designer. And that's when, when I finish it, I start thinking, oh, what's my next step? So I definitely can relate to how do you find something that you like? What is the next step? Finding your first job. My first job as well was the time that uh, the, econo um, the economic crisis hit in Brazil. It was a nightmare to find one, any job at all. Imagine even in, in communication or marketing. I was looking for dur during six months So I have a, as well to rely on my parents. So, so many of us, Gemma, can relate to that story. I never knew that you were studying fashion. Oh my God. And I've known you so many years now. That's so cool. Yeah, that's my background. And I, from fashion, I said, I love the communication part of it. So I said, I would do something within communication. So my first job was as a PR assistant in an e-commerce. So that's when I found out not only marketing, but also the tech world, because the e-commerce was pretty much everything. It's online. You have to be very tech savvy. And from there, I started kind of find, finding my own path. And I'll say to you, even if you ask me today what you will be doing in 10 years, five years, three years, I don't really know. I know like the things that I don't like and I know the things that I wouldn't do, but I don't have this kind of a, a dream path or a dream job. I just pretty much see what is happening. I see what I'm enjoying more and I see the opportunities that are coming. I think that's what makes working in tech so amazing though, because for me, as I said, I started out working in technology in partner marketing, PGI. Um, I was doing partner playbooks. I got so much exposure to quite large telcos there. Then that took me into Microsoft. I was working in marketing there, stayed in marketing, moving over to Oracle. But then at Oracle, there was this really exciting newish team. And I never thought like I am... I really want to be on this team. I had not heard of it. But then, so basically it was a team that was all around digital selling. And once I found out about that team, I was like, that that's me. That's where I want to be. Those are the skills I want to have. That's what I've been working towards. And so it happened really organically for me that I moved out of marketing and moved into digital selling and building programs. But 
everything that I learned in marketing in terms of how to talk to customers, how do people want to be treated, what messaging works, what events do they want to attend. Um, I was able to take all of that as such real life marketing and then bring it into the digital world, which is what I think a lot of people forget is that even living in this digital virtual world, we are all still humans. So we need to know how to interact with people on a human level, but in a virtual world. Exactly. And I think um, I would love to, to hear more of your current job, but from a little bit that I know about you. I think you still use marketing on everything that you do. When you build your programs, how are you going to in internally communicate them? So probably you're going to do some cool visuals, the way that you handle your, your LinkedIn profile. So a lot of things that I see, even though you're not within a marketing team, is still a lot of marketing activities. Absolutely. Um, I think no matter what role you're in, there always is an element of marketing to it. And I'll definitely walk you through my current role and maybe how some marketing activities help. If I could have my time back, I would have started using my marketing skills for myself, for my own personal gain, if you will, a little bit sooner. So it's kind of like that old saying, you know, oh, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? When's the next best time to plant a tree? Today. And if I had used the skills I knew about branding and engaging with people and generating awareness earlier for my own self, I think it would have been beneficial. So I think using your marketing skills to build your own personal brand should be everybody's goal, no matter what your role is, past, present or future. And then in terms of my current role, so at the moment I'm working at Salesforce and I am part of the global sales enablement team. So what we are doing is we are building onboarding programs, in-roll programs and readiness programs for our sellers. And we are looking to build them on a global scale. So whether you are a seller in Sydney or Mumbai or Chicago, you will have the same opportunities to learn and the same opportunities to progress. And talking about that might not sound like there's a lot of marketing involved, but let me tell you, there is so many areas where I still use my marketing skills. So firstly, I design the majority of my own content. So in terms of making a message land and making it visually pleasing, that marketing always stands to me. Secondly, you have to promote your program. So why do people want to be on your program? What is the value of your program to them? What is the ROI of your program? Not only to your attendees, but to their leadership. Why should they get to leave, you know, the business and be not calling and not dialing and not generating revenue for whatever it is, two, three days, four days to come on your program? So being able to sell that message is super important, but then also the follow up. How do you follow up after a program? How do you share the content? How do you keep people engaged in a program? And then delivery is a very big part of my role. So how can I keep people who are in their home office, probably roasting hot, looking out the window? How can I keep them engaged in the content I'm delivering? So for me, I use marketing every day in my current role. 
For me, this description is pure marketing. This is the customer journey and your customers are the sellers. So you understanding them, understanding your audience, seeing what is value for them, trying to engage them with communication, attracting them to your sessions. And after the sessions, you do your post-sale. Oh my God, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) You're marketing within sales enablement. (laughs) That, yeah, you summed it up really well. Love it. Oh, I love that. And I just want to come back a little bit on the personal brand because I think this is so important what you say, how to use your skills and knowledge to yourself and building a brand and putting your own voice out there. It's so important. I know that you do help some people with a bit of coaching. Could you share some tips? Absolutely. So coaching is a big passion of mine. Um, I wish I had more spare time to do it more often. Um, but I do do coach people for new roles um, in the evening time and sometimes on the weekends. And I love it because for me, I always think about how lost I was before people helped me and before I found my career in tech. And I, wa- I want to be able to help other people see their own value and their own self-worth. And if I was to think about any any tips around the coaching and the personal branding, I think the first biggest one that I can see is that we are all our own worst critics and we put so much self-limiting barriers around us. So, you know, for example, I've never worked in tech. I've never worked in marketing. How am I going to be able to break into that? And there's so many things I would say. So I guess first and foremost, I would say start with your personal brand. And that's whether you're in a role or whether you're not in a role, your personal brand is so important. And you have your internal brand for the company you might be in and then your external brand for outside of your company. And a lot of us could be working in large companies where maybe people just don't know what we're capable of. And I've seen people really stand out and set themselves apart and get noticed in their large organizations by having a personal brand. And having a personal brand means having a point of view. So what is your opinion? What do you care about? So for me, you could say, okay, sales enablement. That is my core role. But what do I really care about? What about sales enablement? But I also care about coaching people. And I'm also very much like working with sales leaders and salespeople. So then how can I build on that? What information do I know about sales? What information do I know about coaching? And then if I'm creating videos or like you, Issa, starting a whole podcast around a topic that you're passionate about, or if I'm sharing content on LinkedIn or Twitter, or other social media platforms, suddenly people around me are going to start saying, God, you know that girl, Gemma, I think she's on so-and-so's team. She actually knows a lot about sales coaching and they may never, you could be sitting next to them every day in the office if it was pre-COVID and they might not know that about you. And then likewise, externally, if you're looking for a new role, then start positioning yourself as somebody who is educated and knowledgeable and has a point of view on that new industry or on that new business that you want to get into. So for me, when I wanted to start getting really passionate about digital sales and still keep my marketing skills, I started looking at, and I'll be honest, I I never paid for a course. So there's so many amazing courses out there that are for free. I did a lot of online courses around digital sales, digital messaging, 
I remember I used to do it from half six until eight in the office I was working in. And then there was a gym class on at eight that I would just like jump over a bush basically to go into the gym for. And I just made it part of my routine. So every evening I would do a course in what I wanted to get into and what I wanted more information in. And then even though I had no like hands-on experience about this specific area, I had so much passion. I had so much knowledge. I had so many examples that when it came to talking to people about starting to maybe go into a new role, it was really obvious to them that I had taken the time to educate myself on the topic. So I think so many things can be in our control. Our personal brand is in our control. The content we read and engage with is in our control. And also the content that we put out there to the world is in our control. Exactly. And I think there is no benefit of you learning loads, studying loads and be passionate about something that if you're not going to be broadcasting about, if you're not going to be talking about it, as you said, it's going to be the most best secret keep uh, kept. Is that how you say it? <laughs> kept secret the best? Uh, yes. The best have secrets, definitely. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's very important. I think we have so many tools at your ha our hands today, like LinkedIn's one of them, social media in general, any format, podcast, blogging, anything that if you're really passionate about it, why not? Advocating for me, it's uh, women cause, women cause, women rights, uh, equality, and this podcast was a platform for that. Beyond marketing, I, I need to niche in something. But in the end of the day, more than marketing, this is about women, women, women like you like me that wants to be visible in the world and see look we are doing a great job and then inspiring others to say oh if she can do it I can do it as well I love that I think it's so true in terms of if you can if you have someone in your corner even if you don't know them Like if you can read a book and it's about somebody like you who succeeded, if you can listen to a podcast and it's about somebody like you who succeeded, then suddenly it feels just that little bit more attainable. Like, why not me? What makes me different? I could do that too. So I love that you have this podcast and you want to amplify female voices because I think we need to hear from each other and we don't have the same challenges and paths as maybe or male counterparts. It doesn't make it better or worse. It just means we have a different path and it's nice to have people who are also experiencing that path. Exactly, exactly. When you see it, you, you feel it's possible. And I think that's it's why it's so important for me. Absolutely. And I think when you think about the people out there who are paving the way, like, I mean, look at Michelle Obama. She's had such a huge impact in me believing in myself being able to achieve something. And, you know, I've never met her, probably will never meet her. But that is the that just shows why we need to use our voice, all of us. Exactly. Yeah, no. Michelle Obama, it's a great example of many... Renee Brown, then you have Melinda Gates, so many incredible women, lots of CEOs as well, Safra Katz in Oracle, then you have Anna Leary in Vodafone, like so many wonderful women like leading those companies and it's just make you believe, like I, I don't have the intention to be a CEO, but if I want it, I, I can see them, what they're doing. Go to their LinkedIn and say, what do they do in their career? What are the steps they, they, they create, crafted to get there and kind of get inspiration out of it. I, I love that idea. I could definitely see you being a CEO, Isis. I think you'd be amazing. You're CEO of this podcast, after all. Exactly. CEO of my house as well, <laughs> where I have to manage, where I have to manage a cat and a fiance. <laughs> oh my God, are you engaged? 
Yeah, like it's been ages now that I'm engaged. The, the marriage one, I'll tell you, we're going to get married on our 50 because lockdown did not let us. <laughs> oh my God, it's so funny that I learned that on the podcast. We'll have to celebrate after. <laughs> we will, we will. So Gemma, something that I want to talk to you about, because I know that you coach a lot of people, but I heard that sometimes it is a bit hard to break in the tech world. So could we talk about a little bit about that? Oh, yes, I would love to talk about that. And it's something that's so close to my own heart for many reasons. Firstly, because as I said earlier, when I came into the tech world, it is because a company took a chance on me, a SaaS company that's based in West Quirk. It's a global company. Um, they took a chance on me. I did on paper. I did not have any experience that was relevant for the role. I mean, I had amazing ideas around marketing. I'd achieved results through my marketing programs. I brought creative programs into an organization that hadn't typically been digital and hadn't typically been running programs like this. But I was doing marketing programs um, as well as working in retail as a salesperson. So when I got my, you know, my big break, I guess you could call it to join a tech company, it's because that company saw the passion and the drive and the ambition in me that I really wanted it. And I think that was, gosh, I'm showing my age now, but I feel like that was maybe eight or nine years ago now that I started that journey. And since then, it's been a whirlwind. And but That was my first step. If I hadn't gotten that step, I wouldn't have the career I have now. Now, there are, t there are two other points in my career where I think are, you know, big accelerators. So, you know, getting to move to Microsoft, that was a huge accelerator for my career. Moving into digital sales, that was a huge accelerator for my career. Working with 52 customers over two years at LinkedIn, that was a huge accelerator. But all of those steps wouldn't have happened if somebody hadn't uh, day one taken a chance on me. And so when I'm coaching people, and I mean, the people that I have the pleasure of meeting are ambitious, they're hardworking, they're creative, they're fun, you want to be around them, that, you know, when you're on calls with them, I'm like, your energy is infectious. You would be amazing at this job for these reasons. So if we can think about people who are maybe have never worked in tech, but they're looking to apply for tech roles, I'm like, you'd be amazing because you're an excellent people person, because you're super creative and you use video in your current day to day for the company you're working in. And you could use video to engage your customers. You've had to do all of your own prospecting for your own business that you own. So if you were to come into a tech company and have people to enable you, have tools that you can use, have leaders to support and grow you, you would absolutely thrive. Because if you can do so much on your own, if you came into one of these companies, you would just take off. But for me, something that I'm so disheartened to see happening really often is, and I think especially in Dublin, because there are so many tech companies here and also such top talent, is that I see sometimes people not getting roles because they don't have tech experience or they get down to the final round, which oh, for me is the worst. So say they've done 10 rounds to interview with a tech company, you know, to go 10 rounds, it's like, you know, nearly doing 10 rounds Muhammad Ali to interview for some of these tech companies. And I can say that from, from experience having worked in them. And the thing is, uh, when we think about it, they 
get to the final round so somebody has seen something in them obviously to keep bringing them back but what I, my, and this is just my own personal interpretation thesis but what I think happens is at that final round somebody with tech experience is the person that they're up against and then the hiring manager says oh you know what I'm going to go with the person who has tech experience. They're less risk. I'll have to on I'll have to spend less time onboarding them. They'll hit the ground running. And then that person who doesn't have tech experience doesn't get the role because and the feedback is because they don't have tech experience. So what I would love to see is if we could have almost this go back to our roots and think about well, how did you get into tech? Where did you get your tech experience? And take a chance on people who show you they're driven, who show you they're hungry, who show you they're creative. Because in my experience, when hiring managers have done that, the, the, it's endless. The success possibilities are endless. People are loyal to the company. People want to stay longer. You know, they want to prove themselves. They're overachieving once they're onboarding. So I think if we can break down some of those barriers and maybe open the floodgates and get more people into tech with diverse backgrounds, I think that would be amazing. But yeah, but I think ended up in a chicken and egg situation. You want people with a diverse background, but you hire the same old, same old. And if you, if someone re- it's really passionate about tech, has all the qualifications and qualities to get to a final level, being not having a tech background or a, t- a background that has a company tech shouldn't be a, a decider, or something to decide uh, decide on. You should be looking at the person because something that I'm a strong believer is you can teach anything to anyone, but you cannot teach attitude. You cannot teach people that have the sense of ownership. You cannot teach passion. These are the things that you have to look at someone and see them on the interview, displaying all those things. As you said, they're doing so much by themselves. If you just enable them a little bit, they will thrive so much. So these are the things that you want and everything else you just teach them everything like how to navigate in a multinational, how to manage stakeholders, how to deal with different cultures. This is you, you just learn on the go. And I had kind of a similar experience when I, I moved to Ireland. So I was trying to find my first job after my master's and a lot of the big companies would be like, oh yeah, your CV is great, but you don't have experience in Europe. And then I was like, okay, get an internship. So I would go to other interviews, oh, your CV is great, but you don't have experience in Ireland. I was like, oh yeah, fine. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God. Then you go again even deeper. Oh, you have a great CV, but you don't have experience in Ireland in the SMB market. <laughs> it's like a circus. I know. How specific do you want me to be? And I was very lucky to get my first job in, in a SaaS, in a startup. And the manager was an expat, so he's Irish, but he used to live in Canada. So he's very open-minded and he... And the interview was great. Funny enough, I went to an interview that it was for sales because I was so desperate for a job. I went to a sales interview, having a marketing background saying, I can do that. And during the interview, he said, look, you have a great CV. I don't think you're a good fit for this role, but I'm open a marketing role next week. And I think it would be brilliant for that. Would you be interested? Oh my God, that's brilliant. I love that. Like we need more of people like that in the world. That's amazing. Exactly. And I got the job. I spent a brilliant year with them. Uh, so Michael, thanks again for my breakthrough in Ireland. Uh, he, he's the CEO. He was brilliant. And 
after that was when I got my second company that was the Stable Longer, that was Vodafone. But without this experience, I don't think I'll be able to get in Vodafone. And Vodafone, again, my hiring manager was very open-minded because I didn't have experience in multinationals. And I know that a lot of multinational hiring managers want you to have this exposure because, as you said, it's a bit easier. You know how to navigate across this matrix complicated companies but he said no you have the attitude that I want you have the skill sets that I need and yeah I think we're gonna do great and I stay almost three years with them and they did a great job so I do believe that hiring managers have to be more open to the new they have to be considering people because in the end of the day people hire people we don't hire the best companies Oh my, absolutely. And I think it's just putting our voices into action. Like, I think we all say the right things. I think we all talk about, it's, you know, almost topical at the moment to talk about hiring diverse, but we have to be brave. And it's not brave, like brave is the wrong word because it's not brave hiring someone who has the most amazing skills and the most amazing attitude. I think it's that we actually have to change the way we look at things and stop thinking about things as like this risk or that risk or de-risking the hire. And instead, as you said, just go back and think about, is this person going to be able to do the job? Do they have a can-do attitude? And as you said, everything else we can teach them. Exactly. And bring in a different perspective because sometimes you just jump from big corporation to big corporation and you all operate the same but when you have a background that is slightly different you bring a new view you bring a new opinion a new attitude and this is when great things happen it's not because everyone thinks the same oh 100 percent. it's so true uh there was a really amazing leader when i was working at linkedin and he said the exact same thing he said he woke up one day and realized that everybody who directly reported into him looked exactly like him and had the exact same background and then he made it his mission for his tenure at linkedin to change that and to change the type of people they were hiring. Exactly. And I think every hiring manager, every senior leadership person should be looking at that, should, should looking at how can I diverse my team. So Gemma, it's been a great talk. We're coming towards to the end. You gave so many nuggets of wisdom, but if you have to leave us with one last word of wisdom, what that would be? I think that if I had to leave one last word of wisdom, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, is to believe in yourself. And it sounds cheesy. It sounds like it should be on a fridge magnet, but somebody recently asked me if I could have my time back in a certain situation that a certain work situation what would I have done differently and it made me really sad but I was like I would have believed in my own ability more I would have stood by myself I would have backed myself I would have known that I was the subject matter expert and I was really good at that role and just have that self-belief um, that you are capable you know what you're doing and don't let other people knock your confidence. I think, yes, all of us are always open to taking on feedback um, if it's constructive, but we have to protect our confidence. And I think it's something, especially in the virtual world, that can get knocked really easily now. So just believe in yourself, believe in your self-worth and just back yourself. I think I have to drop the mic now because there is nothing else I can to that. It's 
So true. <laughs> Isis, it was so nice chatting with you. I really enjoyed this. I can't believe the time has just flown on by. I know. Same, same. You have to come back. So thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you so much for giving back your time. And I think we speak soon. Amazing. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. This podcast was edited by Aerolithus Smart Edition.